Welcome to the Red Rain Podcast. Here is your host from Revenge of the Birds, Walter Mitchell. Thank you, Kyle Little Rock Ledbetter. It's good to hear your voice again and good to be back after a little hiatus. Took a little vacation uh, upstate New York to a Verbo rental uh, with my grandkids and man, granddaughters. Uh, was awesome. They had a pool. It was kind of cold, but that never deters grandkids. <laughs> they were in there the whole time. I was in there some of the time. It was really fun and I'm um, happy to be back. And uh, I think we've got some interesting topics today. We're going to talk to Asked the question, who is more coach bro, Cliff or JG? And I, and then I'm going to, we're going to have thoughts on Mike Florio, Caleb Williams, Kyler Murray, and Buddha Baker. So um, that's in the second portion of today's program. Um, welcome back, Cardinal fans. Uh, thank you for uh, listening in. Um, I was struck the, by the question, who is more coach bro, but right in uh, Gannon's initial uh, press conference as head coach, um, he's very hands-on, um, you know, calls players buddies, um, you know, referred, later referred to Kyler as a gangsta. Um, you know, his interaction with Rondale Moore, zoo, zoo, zoo. I mean, he is working the room like a coach bro. Um, and um, in ways that Kingsbury didn't, you know, didn't was not quite as overt as JG is. And, um, you know, yeah, you want to have a bond with your players. You want your players to like you. You want to understand your players. You want to understand how, you know, what buttons to press on every player. Um I think Gannon has a good sense of that. I think he's got an advantage over Cliff in that Gannon is not coordinating. Um, and so he's more free to roam around and interact with players and coaches and be hands-on in that way. And I think that's going to help him. The book on Gannon is that his players really like it, the interactions he has with him. So I think this is you know, potentially a really good thing. Um, you know, but there's a fine line, you know, it, it's easier to be a coach bro when you're a coordinator than when you are a head coach. Um, and you know, I mean, I thought of this too, and, you know, looking at the OTA practices, I mean, just swap out the faces. I mean, the way that Gannon is dressed in the black, all black and the, uh, and the bucket hat you know, just exchange faces. I mean, that was Cliff's attire during practice as well. You know, I think Cliff had a bigger burden. Gannon has a staff that is loyal to him, whom he knows has NFL experience coming in. Um, you know, uh, you know, and of course Gannon has that, which Cliff did not have himself coming in and NFL connections where we've seen this offseason, I think the story of the offseason is the connections that Monty Ossenfort and Dave Sears and Jonathan Gannon 
um, have tapped into to get the Cardinals in, in, you know, in a place where they are now, which is pretty exciting looking down the road. McGannon said one thing that, you know, he said a lot of things in his opening press conference, which he's going to have to live up to, um, you know, the putting the team first, holding players accountable. The players have said the accountability has been ramped up during the off season, which is great. Um, you know, no um, egos will be tolerated. Uh, you know, they made some moves in that regard. Um, and I think they've got to hold firm on that. And what's, what's interesting to me is whether Gannon can do something that Cliff was did not do very well, in my opinion, was hold players to equal um, standards um, and not double standards for star players. Um, and, um, you know, I think that one of the things that can really take down a team, and I think we've seen it with the Cardinals, is that when players are favored and given, you know, um, favorable perks that other players don't get, uh, that is a way of eroding team morale. And if Gannon's truly team first and no egos tolerated, then we will see quite a difference and a change in the way all the players are treated. I love, too, when Monty Austinfort was asked, you know, will you be consulting Kyler about the coach? You know, you're going to get the right coach for Kyler. And Austinfort said, I want to get the right coach for all the players. I know that was a great, one of the best responses to a question this offseason. So I'm really looking forward to seeing if, if uh, you know, the, the kind of standards that Gannon has outlined and at Austinfort has outlined in the total alignment of the of the franchise now and their day-to-day operations whether those things whether the words and the music will match and um you know and Gannon said you know don't get it twisted we're gonna win and I think this is a is an interesting scenario for the Cardinals because um you know, I mean, everyone expects them to be awful. I mean, Brick Coleman and EJ Snyder on their, um, you know, bootleg football production this week, their preview of the Cardinals. I posted it on, on um, you know, Revenge of the Birds. It's a great hour-long, um, intensive look inside the Cardinals, and I thought they did a fabulous job. It was really f- fantastic. Um, also Seth Cox and, uh, Jess Root put out a couple podcasts recently. They, you know, those, those podcasts, the Rise Up Red Sea podcasts have been outstanding. You get a lot of good previewing in right now. So I I recommend you, if you have the time, go and listen to these podcasts. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, Brett Coleman had the Cardinals win ceiling at six. EJ Snyder has it at five. And Coleman had the Cardinals floor at two wins. And Snyder had it at one win. Um, So 
those are the expectations going in. But I'm kind of fearful of what that could entail and concerned of what that could mean to Jonathan Gannon. I mean, we know that, you know, maybe the fan base is going to embrace the whole tank thing because of Caleb Williams or because of Marvin Harrison Jr. or getting the highest draft picks possible. But it's hard to sit through games and embrace it if you're going to be losing. And I mean, the Cardinals, if they don't start winning at home, I mean, if they don't reverse that, that um, deficiency in their, in their um, performances, I mean, it's going to get rough. And if you've seen the history of Michael Bidwell's, he does not tolerate awful seasons. And I think, you know, Mike Florio um, recently said, posed the question of if the Cardinals, you know, um, are awful this year and the product on the field is awful, could it be another one and done as happened to Steve Wilkes um, with Jonathan Gannon? Now you would think that, you know, with Monty Austin for having chosen um, Jonathan Gannon um, as a guy that he he had uh, you know scouted in advance for the job, you would think that Gannon would no matter what will get a second year. But um, uh, you know, I, it's going to be a diff- difficult task, a difficult sell that you hired a young staff. And if you can't show you can win, there are going to be, be seeds of doubt. And there's n- nothing more punishing in football for a football team to take the physical punch- punishment of a game and pair it with the mental torment of losing. And, you know, I think that, you know, with Jonathan Gannon and his staff, I think it's important for them to win. And, and play hard and get this group fired up. I mean, yeah, sure, I want the highest draft picks possible, but we also have the Houston pick in play here. But that Houston team, you know, with D'Amico Ryans, they're going to play hard. The Cardinals have got to show show up every week and and play like, you know, play with a passion and an urgency um, and to, to show that, you know, they're responding to the coaching well, et cetera. The Coach Pro thing, you know, I get it. Um, as a coach myself in high school and a high school coach and a high school teacher, I mean, I don't think I was Coach Bro or, you know, Teacher Bro. But I think, you know, anyone who's an educator knows that building rapport, a rapport with your constituents with your players with your students with the people you work with that's all of of paramount importance um i don't care who you are um but there's also the the fine line between you know building rapport and also maintaining you know um yourself as an authority figure and someone uh, to be respected and it can't be like eye to eye coach bro. Um, and, you know, in those situations, I mean, you still have to be the adult in the room. You still have to be, 
you know, uh, uh, the one with the maturity and also know, have to know where to draw the line um, and hold everyone accountable. And that's the whole, the whole thing is that, you know, in, in education, we have standards to uphold and we hold the students to those standards and the players to those standards. Um, so I'm fascinated to see how that plays out. I, I like the philosophy, but there are some things that are sticking in my craw to tell you the truth. And I'm sorry to say this because I am as optimistic as anyone pretty much, but you know, there's some things I don't get. I mean, first of all, Monty Ossenfort cut his teeth in the Patriots organization. He was a part of a team. I'll never forget this team. I remember it was, uh, you know, I remember in preseason, Belichick had the starters playing into the third quarter against the Giants. You know, Tom Brady was playing quarterback. I remember they had, you know, the kid um, Long, Howie Long's son at the end for that one year. And, and and Belichick played him like into the fourth quarter long, getting him accustomed to the defense. I mean, this is one thing I'll be very curious. I mean, Cliff elected to downplay um, preseason games. Will Gannon be different? I mean, will we see, you know, dress rehearsals um, and guys getting integrated into, into the new systems? I mean, Cliff said, said after the first year he regretted, you know, being vanilla in preseason and regretted, but he didn't really change much after that. He just decided to, you know, rest all the starters and, you know, especially after that time and Kyler came in and just looked totally disinterested and um, just threw the ball away and, you know, uh, three and out and just got off the field and, you know, that'll be a really interesting um, decision on Gannon's part. But a couple decisions that really um, miff me and, and irk me as a fan is why in the world do you cancel day three of mandatory minicamp? I mean, you have a new system. You have a whole bunch of new players getting accustomed to each other. You have new, you know, on both sides of the ball, you're, you have teaching moments galore. Now, some will say, well, the threat of injury. You can't play that way, all right? The Cardinals got to one Super Bowl, and the coach that got him to one Super Bowl was, was Wisenhunt, Ken Wisenhunt. Wisenhunt had a thing about you want, you want to play, you're playing. I mean, that's why Larry Fitzgerald wouldn't take himself off the field. I mean, you know, in in blowout games, even Larry wanted to stay on the field. He wanted to play. In in Wisenhunt's system, guys wanted to play. They weren't playing for fear of getting hurt. You know, and you know, yeah, I could see being cautious with with some players or whatever else. But you know what? It doesn't it doesn't work. Um, it doesn't build your football team. Why does Bill Belichick take that Patriots team into a third quarter of a of a week three dress rehearsal preseason game? And by the way, that team went on to win a Super Bowl. 
all right? He's, you know, building the mental and physical stuff, toughness that it takes to sustain winning and playing at a high level in the NFL. And when the team's not playing right or playing well, he's going to keep them on the field until they do. And, um, you know, the other thing is that team and other Patriots teams, their mantra is um, no days off. You know, so, you know, I was looking at that and going, you know, you're canceling. This is what Cliff did. He canceled practice last year after the cuts. He canceled the first practice when you got new guys coming in there. It's just mind boggling to me. And it's also BA did it as well. Um, It's been a sort of an organizational thing. I think it's got to change. You know, I think Bruce Arians old mantra whenever he did it was like, well, we've accomplished everything we need to accomplish at this point. Huh. Yeah, right. Um, like then he got his, you know, got beat by the Patriots in week one at home to the point of when Belichick was asked after the game, you know, how's it feel to be a, to beat a, a, a Super Bowl contender with a backup quarterback, Jimmy G, that game because Larry Brady was on the the uh, air air deflate gate suspension. Um, you know, in week one on the road, and Belichick said, "Well, I guess they think so." <laughs> um, they think they're a Super Bowl, Super Bowl contender. Um, the, the Patriots went on to win the Super Bowl that year, right? The, the yeah. deflate gate season. And, and, uh, okay. And um, Bruce Arians said after the season that Patriots loss took the total air out of the Cardinals' balloon. And then it cost them the whole season. That so that was 2016 coming off the NFC Championship, right? Correct. Okay. And now they had Chandler Jones in the building, you know, and there was a lot of optimism. And, you know, and also. Well, um, they went with a undrafted rookie long snapper who snapped a low snap on, on a potential game-winning field goal by Chandler Catanzaro that led to a missed field goal, and that was frustrating. And you know, um, and you know, they're playing Brandon Williams at cornerback, and he was getting toasted. Um, that was a team that that uh, I thought Steve Kime personnel-wise, really failed um, to solidify. Uh, And, um, you know, but that's a story unto itself. But, you know, if you're worried about injuries, that's a – it's a tough message to sell to to your players. I mean, they'll gladly miss practice. I mean, then you could say, well, you know, this is as a reward for – most of the guys showing up for OTAs, but they should show up for OTAs. It shouldn't be a rewarded thing. The only reward that I saw that worked was Arians with the, um, you know, victory Mondays to the tune of nine weeks in a row. I mean, that is, you know, has an incentive to it that I think is, you know, can be valuable, but, 
I think the message that it sends to a team when you're like, you know, canceling practices is that, and combined with, I think it was a mistake of Gannon to call the OTAs, you know, pajama ball with sort of disdain. You can't, you know, he then went on to say and clarify that it was a great chance for teaching. And, you know, that's what you got to, you got to, the Cardinals have to change their practice habits. And it starts with taking practice more seriously and understanding the value of it. So now, okay, yesterday comes out the training camp days. Frickin' A. The Cardinals are not going to come in early with the rookies like other teams are doing. They're going to start late, like, you know, the 25th, like every, you know, which is the, you know, the late date with both rookies and veterans. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? You cannot be serious. You coaches can't show up four days early for the rookies. Which, by the way, these rookies are going to need are going to be heavily relied on this year. They should be. You also have a rookie quarterback who may end up being a starter sooner than later. I mean, get them in the building. I mean, for crying out loud, what are you doing? I mean, put it. Let me put it to you this way: the most uh, PFF did a posted a. a a thing on Twitter about the top 10 head coaches in the NFL um, this year. One, Andy Reid. Two, Bill Belichick. Three, Mike Tomlin. Four, Kyle Shanahan. Five, John Harbaugh. First of all, I want to ask you all, are any of those guys coach bros? Um, I think they're player-oriented coaches for sure. But I don't think their buddy buddy you know um you know and i think they clearly draw the line and are authoritative authoritative figures and they have the reputations where if they want to say start otas three or four days early they have the the cachet and the reputation to do so exactly so i went and looked up because yesterday the the training camp dates were posted wouldn't you know, four out of the five are coming in early with the rookies. What does that say to you? Okay. What does that say? I mean, I'll tell you what, I'm tired of getting ripped off as a fan. I'm tired of it. I mean, you take these opportunities, they're golden because the NFL restricts you on practices to begin with. So anytime they give you a chance, to practice more, you do it for the sake of your team, for the sake of, of your players, for the sake of your fans. You owe it to us. I mean, and you're now coming in the 25th with everyone after taking the last day off on mandatory minicamp. How bogus is that? And you know, if the Cardinals stink this year, I want Gannon out. I really do. That's just a stupid decision. For a young coach who at times sounds very naive about what he's doing. I mean, you know, I'm, this really ticks me off. And um, 
you know, there's so many things that tick me off these days. Um, you know, let me transition this into the Florio situation. I mean, I get it. I, I even tweeted myself recently. It's like, you know, why won't you let this go, Mike? You know, with, with Gannon. But if you listen to him on Phoenix, you know, with the interview in Phoenix, I thought he was very insightful. And I'm realizing that, you know, he's not letting this go because clearly he has heard some things that he can't say publicly yet because he can't, you know, um, you know, throw up a, a con some contacts under the bus. Yeah, he's a um, newsbreaker, but he can't quite yeah. put it into a story yet. Like he has information right. that he can't journalistically report. Right. He wouldn't be pushing this if he didn't have some knowledge or understanding of other things that were happening with this whole debacle. And you know what? I mean, and Cardinal fans are just so whipped up like, Mike Florio is public enemy number one. And I mean, when they entered, when Johnny and Bo entered, you know, uh, ended the interview with him, you know, uh, they asked him, what would you say to Cardinal fans who think you're enemy number one? Florio had the perfect answer and he had a lot of great answers during the whole interview. I'm going to talk about that in a second. Was he said, if I'm your public enemy number one, you're in trouble. And I, from my standpoint, I'm glad someone cares enough to poke around into what's going on with the Cardinals because it's got to stop. The cheating has to stop. The deception has to stop. You know, I mean, the double standards have to stop. I mean, people forget this is now two reported you know, cases of Michael Bidwell cheating with the, you know, Steve Kime, you know, allegations, forcing a rookie head coach <coughs> against his will to secretly converse with an exiled GM on, you know, on a five-week suspension via walkie-talkies and with the Interim GM, Terry McDonough. I mean, that's bogus. And now, and I don't want to hear, well, you know, it was Monty Austin Ford who snuck, a, snuck around and gave JG a little congrats call about winning the NFC championship game and, and then said, oh, by the way, <laughs> you know, are you interested in, in interviewing for the Cardinals job? which there's a context to that nobody in that interview pointed out. And I'm going to point it out right now is that you've got to ask yourself, what was it that prompted, and I, I'm not going to accept that Bidwell had no knowledge, which Austin Fort might, you know, uh, take one for the, for the, you know, um, embattled owner who's under all sorts of scrutiny, I don't buy that in the least. As a rookie GM, I'm sure that he and Bidwell, and in fact, I bet it might have been even at Bidwell's suggestion to call Gannon because here was the context. Gannon 
said on national TV, now that he knew he wasn't going to win, get the Texans job following the NFC championship game, I'm staying. They're paying me to stay. <laughs> you know, in other words, I got, I'm getting rewarded. So I have no reason to leave. You know, he said, now that the Texans job looks like I'm not going to get. So, I mean, if you're, if you're Bidwell and, and Austin for, and you've been going through this whole interview process and you screwed it from the beginning by not, and I mean, the, you know, Johnny and Bo had good points about this is that, you know, don't interview Vance Joseph for this week or anyone else. I mean, if, if Gannon's on high on your list, get him <coughs> tied up. That was their huge mistake was not tying up that connection with Gannon so they could interview him during the Super Bowl week, if need be. Which it turns out it did need need to be. But now that the Cardinals were, you know, narrowing down their search and they had two finalists. The two-week hiatus to kind of keep those finalists still hanging around was a little daunting. And you would think, is Gannon being serious? I mean, you want to know. I mean, because you don't want to keep those candidates waiting for two weeks only to find out, no, no, I've signed a new contract with the Eagles. Which, by the way, after Gannon was signed, which I thought was was a mistake and an error in judgment for him, he, he blurted out that he's taking less money to be the Cardinals head coach than what the Eagles were offering him to come back as D to stay on as DC. Oh boy. So which then makes the Cardinals organization look cheap. Right. Well, they're also paying for, you know, for Cliff Kingsbury for the next four years. Well, th yeah, that part's true also, but remember right. Brian Flores took the Vikings DC job over staying in the Cardinals search and Dan Quinn, stayed in Dallas with a pay raise over pursuing the Cardinals job. So you already had multiple defensive coordinators <laughs> turn down the Cardinal job. You are on fire, my man. You are in fuego. That is exactly, exactly right. And, you know, so, yeah, and then you also had the, the uh, Ian Cunningham turning down the GM job and the innuendo there from people that I've talked to um, was that he that Bidwell lowballed him um, with a contract offer, and Cunningham said, "Screw." And I'm pretty sure it's reported that Austin Fort right now is the 31st out of 32 highest paid GMs, and Gannon is 32 out of 32 in terms of highest paid coaches. There you go. Okay, there you go. But I think we got a, a dandy in Austin Fort. I'm not sure about Gannon yet, and I, I hope we have a dandy in Gannon. I mean, Gannon, what Gannon has that Cliff doesn't have is the, he's got an authoritative voice. And, you know, and I, I don't think Gannon's going to be like Cliff every game and just fall on the sword. And that got just so repetitive of like, we can, I can coach better. You know, this is on me. Um, after a while, it just sounds disingenuous and redundant. And, you know, I mean, yes, the coaches have to hold themselves accountable. But I want to hold this coaching staff accountable and the GM and the owner 
for skipping practices. You know, I mean, this is just totally unacceptable um, for programs that's trying to, you know, has a new leadership and is trying to get, you know, in sync and aligned. It makes absolutely no sense to turn back down some of the limited practice opportunities the NFL gives you. Makes no sense. And to tie it back into the Florio story, remember that after they dropped the tampering charges right before the draft and Florio's original story talked about this has never happened before. Teams have never been allowed to negotiate punishments amongst each other for tampering. Right, right. Um, you know, they had Austin Fort speak to the media, but Gannon didn't speak to the media after the draft. Eventually, he did give a prepared statement next week, but they, in the immediate aftermath of the tampering violations, they didn't have him, you know, speak on the situation. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's so much to that, but I mean, it was a calculated risk the Cardinals took of, I think the, the intent was, you know, let's just quickly see if Gannon is interested. Otherwise, we're going to have to decide between Lou Anarumo or Mike Kafka, who were now finalists and had already interviewed, you know, were interviewing. And meantime, Bidwell was running a Super Bowl in his own building. So, you know, he had all this coming on at once. So, um, yeah, it was just, you know, let's find out if, if Gannon was for real on that because then waiting around from him is a moot point. But what they learned was Gannon was really into it. He was way open to it and was very interested. And then that, you know, it took off from there. And just how much attention... Paid to it during the Super Bowl weeks, which Mike Florio has, like I said, at least somebody cares enough to want to talk about this. You know, I, those are issues that I think the NFL has to has to ponder. And I think that, you know, um, you know, Mike Florio said he doesn't like the system. I mean, when um, when Bo and Johnny pushed back and like, well, what about you know, D'Amico Ryan's and Shane Steichen? You know, they would have been distracted too and stuff. But as Florio pushed back right away, was that, well, no, I mean, you know, sure. But those teams, the, the Texans and the Colts did it by the book. The Cardinals didn't. And they got caught. And I think Florio's right. I think that there was, this wasn't a mea culpa from Bidwell to come forward of like, you know, a pang of conscience. It was, let's beat this, you know, be the first one to announce this because the shit was going to hit the fan one way or the other. And I think Florio has a really good point that, you know, the NFL kind of mitigated, tried to mitigate the situation by sneaking it in right at the beginning of the draft of the publicity of that, where it could get lost in the shuffle and, you know, just, that's a serious violation. And the Cardinals were punished. It cost them a third-round pick. You know, and, you know, by now it should be a done deal. But, you know, 
Florio's still poking the beehive because there's something in it that still hasn't been revealed. There's no question. I don't think Florio would do that otherwise. And he's got tons of connections. I mean, you know, he's got guys he can talk to left and right who kind of have an idea of what's going on. He tried, Florio tried like heck to get Howie Roseman to open up about it, but Roseman, you know, wouldn't do it. And, um, you know, he had Roseman on his show, you know, and Jeff Lurie, he can't get, they're not going to say anything, but there's, there's, there's some things, you know, there's, there's some lingering aspects of how this went down that are I'm not sitting well um, with the Eagles um, and what they knew and learned about how this was handled by the Cardinals. So, and how Gannon has handled it since. I mean, um, so the Cardinals took this risk. It's an understandable risk to take when you're talking about timelines. Um, but it's, it was kind of part and parcel of just the ridiculously long hiring process they they took um and then the charades of like bringing in sean payton which was you know which was you know a total charade they had no intention of giving the saints what the saints wanted in return for sean payton none and so it was just a it was a Sean Payton show to kind of show, uh, hey, I'm getting interest over here, Denver. And then he shows up on a Fox set wearing, uh, you know, an orange tie and, you know, blue blazer <laughs> three days later. And he's texting, you know, the minute he left the Cardinals building, things like, no, I I really got along great with the, with the Broncos executives, you know, that could have been avoided. The thing that pissed me off about it at the time, too, was here Bidwell was raising all these fans' hopes for no reason at all. There was no hope. And I've been saying it all the way through. You, could, you know, there's times when you can just see right through Bidwell. I mean, he's not a serious guy. I mean, he's a showboat, showboater. I mean, he wants to show, like, hey, like I got the connection. I can get Sean Payton in here. But when push, push comes to shove, Bidwell has never had, you know, um, a, an established head coach in his prime. He's never, never signed one who's been a head coach before. Never signed one. And there's a reason for that. Um, he doesn't come up with the goods. He doesn't do the right things. He doesn't say the right things. He doesn't write run the right kind of organization. But now that Austin Fort's on board with Dave Sears, there's renewed optimism because these guys did a fantastic job of um, working their, their prowess in the draft and setting the team up for the future. But if anyone wants to go into this, thing, this season thinking it's okay to tank and it's okay to be bad again, I think, you know, it's at the risk of this young coaching staff. If you're excited about the young coaching staff, you have to want them to show this team that they can win. You've got to give these players hope and, um, you know, and, and, and have them playing hard and playing their, their tails off. So, you know, that's, I think, an important thing. 
that that uh, is getting sort of swept under the rug right now. It's easy right now to say, oh, yeah, we can just lose a ton of games and get a high draft pick. But then having to sit through all those games, I mean, I can't as a Cardinals fan, as for all my years as a Cardinals fan, sit in a game and hope they lose. I can't do it. I mean, everything, all the the bad plays in the game are going to sting for me. I mean, I imagine for so many of you too. I mean, you can't you can't sit through stuff like that. It's like some of the things you sat through, especially defensively over the last four years, were just abominations. Um, things that you know, no corrections, you know, wide open guys. Why don't you cover anyone? You know, oh, middle linebackers who would not run downhill to the football. I mean, stuff like that. It just was so mind boggling. Uh, it's just beyond comprehension. And it just hurt over and over to watch that product on the field. And so, you know, I mean, but this young coaching staff has to prove its worth. And for crying out loud, they ought to take every opportunity and they're not doing that. And, and I mean, if I were again, and I would have stood up and said, no, you're not taking my practice away, even if it was Bidwell's suggestion. I didn't come in here to not go to practice. And um, But, you know, it leads back to you wonder about Gannon when he talked about OTAs being pajama parties. Um, you know, <laughs> I mean, put it, how you talk about things matters in tone-wise. Because, you know, I'll give an analogy. You know, like when I was department head at Foxborough High School, the English department, I mean, I'm trying to impress upon the young teachers that, you know, when you teach grammar, you can't go, oh, man, well, yeah, we kind of have to teach grammar. No one likes it, but we got to do it. You can't be like that. You have to make teaching grammar interesting and fun and pertinent and show how important it is and stress it. It's like teaching fundamentals in football. Some of those drills get repetitive and maybe a little boring, but you're building muscle memory and knowledge. And that's so important. And if you downplay that part of, of the job or that part of the curriculum or the system, whatever, it sends a very poor message to the players. And I think upon, you know, review, I think, you know, it looks to me like the OTAs were well run. I think there was, looks like there was good, really good participation, much different than last year. I think the players were appreciative of the, the um, upgrade in, in accountability. So a lot of good things were happening there. And, you know, I'm hoping is from here on in, Cardinals won't skip practices and they'll treat practice as like the paramount preparation piece, that and film watching um, that can help get them, you know, back on track and in the, in the hunt in the NFC West. So, but, you know, I'm hoping that Gannon has, you can live up to his, uh, mantras and his beliefs and because it's going to be critical and i could see 
I mean, I if if the if you know the scrutiny around Gannon now is this intense. If his team's not playing well, and he's looking foolish, I could see Michael Bidwell saying to Monty Austin for it, we got we need another guy. And I think they liked Lou Anamarumo enough to think that maybe they'd go after him. Um, and, uh, I'm just saying that now. I hope that's not the case. And I hope that he, he has the, you know, the words and the music can match. But there are certain things right now that stick out as being um, sore thumbs. And I just wanted to make them clear. As we as we move forward, and hopefully, you know, we don't see more skip practices, or canceled practices um, down the road, and that they make the most of these, and that they're playing guys in preseason games and not playing afraid of getting hurt. I mean, you can't operate a football team like that. You just can't. Bill Belichick doesn't do that, you know, and there's a reason why he has these rings. And no, it's not all Tom Brady. You can have great quarterbacks like Dan Marino, who never won a Super Bowl. Um, you know, his Belichick's defense was was a huge component of that, and how he built the teams, and how competitive they are, and how disciplined they are. Discipline is huge. So, now um, there were things I I thought if you heard the Florio interview with at Phoenix with uh, Johnny and Bo. As I tweeted out, I thought he provided, Florio provided, provided some keen insights on his book that he wrote about his dad. The league owners, great point he made about that when, when Bo and Johnny asked him about, do you think the Cardinals could be penalized one of their two first-round picks for the, for the McDonough complaint? And... Also, people aren't mentioning this. It's as much, you know, the key figure in this is not just McDonough. It's Steve Wilkes. I mean, is Steve Wilkes going to be the, the, you know, the highlight witness um, you know, that they bring to the stand in this one? I mean, there's no doubt. And Florio said a very interesting thing, uh, which I really appreciated, very insightful. I would have liked to have if they had, you know, engaged him more in conversation about this was that the NFL owners kind of like it, especially the elite ones who win, win most of their games, like that there's a collection of owners who aren't that competent and consistently a threat uh, with their, with their teams to threat as a Super Bowl contender. And chances are, I mean, the, you know, they also wouldn't want the precedent of employees now just complaining and trying to, you know, get their owner out of town. So, I mean, you know, uh, Bo and Johnny were, were saying, that, you know, is, is Michael Bid will be going to become Dan Snyder part two. And Mike Florio said he didn't think so. He's there, he said there were things about the, you know, the McDonough, um, complaint that that uh, you know he took issue to um, that some of the things that McDonough was saying weren't you know um, weren't really all that key, um, and he also said that like most of us feel that the Cardinals' reaction to the to McDonough complaint was egregious, 
um, as a personal attack and ad hominem, um, and you know, and like try and expose McDonough's, you know, um, private um, life as issue as an issue and stuff like that. I was below the belt, um, but he didn't think that that the Cardinals would, you know, uh, in this situation would lose a first round pick, maybe another pick somewhere along the line, but not that. Um, but that led us into, um, you know, I don't know if you've, if you watched the, the bootleg, um, podcast with, with, uh, Brett Coleman and EJ Snyder, um, they made some really interesting points, uh, about Caleb Williams. Um, and one is, is that they they talked about a scenario where if if by the time Kyler's ready to come back and the Cardinals are like one and seven or something, there could be a strong incentive from both parties for Kyler not to play. Particularly if they're heading down a road where it looks like, you know, they could be in line to draft Caleb Williams. Um, and, you know, so, um, well, I mean, because for two reasons, one is it, you know, they don't want to Kyler to risk further injuries if they're going to trade him, you know, and that Kyler might not want to risk further injuries for the same reason or for other, uh, for other obvious reasons. Um, you know, so that's a scenario that's going to be going to bear watching, um, as we go along now. JG has said all along that Kyler is champing at the bed. He can't wait. <clears throat> if it's up to Kyler, he'll be playing, you know. Um, and, you know, I think that that might be overstated on J JG's part because Kyler's not at the – Kyler just started running, um, doing some straight line running, which is good. And Kyler's been great. I mean, he has been doing his part. Um, and he's buying in, um, he's in the building early. He comes, goes away late. He's been attacking his rehab. He's been, he's been doing what Gannon's been trying to do is bond with team, get, get back in teammates favors. Um, DJ Humphreys was lauding Kyler and saying like, I never realized the dude was so funny now that I'm around him more now that we're doing rehab together, you know, this is good. All of it's good. And you hope that Kyler can come back and reestablish himself as a, as a, uh, you know, as a top level quarterback, as a, you know, hopefully a top 10 quarterback, um, you know, and, but I mean, there's a lot that goes into this, not just physically, but mentally. And we know with Kyler's history, you know, he's more inclined to wait rather than jump back too soon, you know? I mean, we watched Patrick Mahomes win an AFC championship and Super Bowl on basically one leg. Kyler had the same injury and took four weeks off. So, you know, I mean, and with, with a season, you know, and in other cases, he had the same injury in the Rams game when the Cardinals could have made the playoffs to – you know, back in 2020. And, oh, how frustrating. I mean, he went in and out of the locker room like four or five times. 
I mean, I understand Kyler, you know, at his size needs to feel like he's got to have turbo in his, you know, in his feet um, to be able to escape pressure. But, you know, there's going to have to be a time where you got to play through pain if you're going to lead your team to victory. And, um, you know, um, you know, we haven't seen that quite from Kyler yet. And, and, uh, um, maybe down the line we will, but with an ACL and MCL repair, meniscus repair, uh, you know, odds aren't in Kyler's favor of coming back sooner rather than later. And we have to be realistic about that. Now, Here's the thing for you. It, what compounds the situation is I've heard from a couple of really valuable and and trustworthy sources that Caleb Williams, uh, the rumor is that he's made a list of teams he does not want to go to, does not want drafting him, and the Cardinals are on it. Um, so, you know, we could have another Eli Manning situation. Um, on our hands if you know so all this you know let's tank for Caleb could be a colossal colossally moot point if Caleb Williams does not want the Cardinals to draft him the other thing is is that um, you know who's his quarterback coach now Cliff Kingsbury I mean I can't imagine Cliff Kingsbury giving Caleb Williams you know a strong recommendation to uh, accept the Cardinals. I can't imagine it. I mean, even though Cliff's getting paid a sweet, sweet, you know, salary on top of what, what he, you know, the balance of what he makes at um, USC. Yeah. Cliff, what is he making? 7 million a year, right? Um, for the next 37 and a half over five years. So roughly seven. Yeah. So, you know, but I can't imagine Cliff being very loyal to the Cardinals anymore, not the way he was treated. I mean, so many people tried to sabotage him there, and at the end, so did the players. I mean, I think of DeAndre Hopkins, you know? Like, there we are in hard, hard knocks, and Cliff goes out of his way with his girlfriend to show up for Hopkins's, um Thanksgiving you know, charity event at the women's shelter. I mean, what a nice gesture from Chris, Chris Park, supporting DeAndre and a great cause and a great gesture from DeAndre. I mean, he's awesome at that. But then for DeAndre Hopkins to refuse to play the last two games, you know, there's no loyalty. And... You know, he lost, you know, players that should have been loyal to Cliff didn't, like Kyler. Kyler turned on Cliff in a dime. And, you know, maybe he blamed Cliff for the Homer clause. Um, I don't think it would be right for him to do that, but maybe he did. But the way he turned on Cliff, um, you know, is like mystifying. And after Cliff got fired, the only players I saw who paid homage to Cliff were um, Zach Ertz, who uh, I just love that guy. 
I mean, Ertz has, you know, is a grown man. And, and, and sort of, uh, but not in the limelight, Colt McCoy. See, I thought Colt McCoy could have helped Cliff down the stretch way more. Um, and telling people, I mean, it's not Cliff's offense. I mean, and that's the reason why, I mean, this is one of the most astonishing things I've ever seen. And people keep wanting to dismiss this. And I, I was arguing this today on Revenge of the Birds in a discussion where um, one of the posters said that the Cardinals' offense was awful in every possible way last year. So I asked the question back, well, why then with a, a line that had four starters out, was Cliff's offense able to generate four fourth-quarter leads with four different starting quarterbacks down the stretch? Think about that. How did Cliff pull that one off? It's pretty amazing when you think about it. You know, he had Kyler against the Chargers in a game that really, if the Kyler played his best three quarters up to the fourth quarter and then the whole offense just stalled out, unfortunately, and Justin Herbert got hot and, you know, we lost that game on a two-point conversion. It was agonizing. I mean, Colt McCoy had the best four-quarter performance of the season at the Rams. I mean, put four really good quarters in a 27-17 win. Then you had um, McSorley having a 10-point lead against the GOAT in the fourth quarter on, um, you know, on, on national TV, Trace McSorley, of all people. And, uh, wow, I mean, that was stunning. I mean, I couldn't believe it. Um, and unfortunately, the GOAT got hot at the end, and, you know, and the defense played those soft zones, and don't get me started on that again. Um, and then David Blau had the fourth quarter lead in Atlanta. And it came down to the last play. A lot of these, you know, those games came down to the last play, the Chargers game. I mean, Colt won that game that he was ahead in the fourth quarter. So we were one and three in those games. But then, you know, um, the the Cardinals lost to Brady on the last in overtime on the last play. And they lost to the Falcons on the last second field goal when they had the lead. I mean, that's four games that, you know, the Cardinals could have won. And... You know, and, and but for guys like Hopkins, Kyler, who bailed on on Cliff, you know, it, it's just it was poor form on their parts, in my opinion. I mean, um, was Cliff? Did Cliff have the gravitas of classic head coach? No, he didn't. Um, but you, I anyone could have told you that coming in. You hired Cliff because of his offensive acumen. And I don't think Cliff disappointed, in my opinion. Um, I think the players did. But also, we have to put it in context that Cliff had to coach through the, through the COVID years. We're talking about practices where you couldn't have OTAs. And then when he finally gets an OTA in year four, half the team doesn't show up. I mean, that's not Cliff's fault. He can't force him to be there. 
you know. But as Kyle said, you know, certain head coaches have the gravitas where you don't miss OTAs. It's, you know, you're not going to curry favor with Belichick by deciding, you know, coach, I'm just going to train by myself down here in Florida. That's not going to cut it. It doesn't cut it with Andy Reid. If you look at the top five coaches on that list, you know, on that list, those guys get their guys, you know, <coughs> committed. And, um, you know, there's no question about it. Or at I mean, the very least, they communicate with the guys to figure out what the situation is. Like, that's what John Harbaugh did with the whole Lamar situation was mm. figuring out where he was and when he would be there. Like, one of the problems that was highlighted with Cliff is that he didn't want to have the the tough conversations with people. And that was kind of what allowed the Kyler Cliff problems in the relationship to fester. Right. Right. And yeah, it's, it's, it's sad to me because there's so many things going wrong. I mean, it's just unbelievable to me to know that Sean Coogler was trying to sabotage Cliff and everybody knew about it. And Cliff went to the owner to try to get him out. And the owner refused. I mean, the owner, I mean, in my opinion, is one of the worst owners in professional for sports I have ever seen. Um, he's a horrible decision maker. Um, and fortunately now, I think he's got a guy in Austin Ford he can trust. And he just ought to take a back seat and let Austin Ford and Sears do their thing. And for crying out loud, don't let Sears leave the building. Promote Austin Ford to team president and then promote um Sears to GM and now you've got them you've got that pair the Lennon and McCartney pair <coughs> for eight years to come and bank on them and give them what they need financially whatever they need support wise to to get the right people in here um to continue to get the right people in here to turn this thing around and speaking about the right people I'd like to end it with um my my feelings about Buda Baker. Um, I had sort of an epiphany this week. I mean, I I'm twisting and turning with the whole Broder situation because, in my mind, Buda Baker is the most dynamic Cardinal I've seen come down the pike in quite some time. Um, he has done everything the right way, everything. And he's the only player who was given an early contract who's not only met, you know, the nature of the contract financially, been played commensurate with what the contract was paying him. He's exceeded it. How many Cardinals have come in here, first of all, as a rookie making a, making a pro, all pro team and pro bowl as a special teamer and embracing that role? And then you had to kind of pry him away from it the next year when they, you know, when now, you know, uh, Buddha was starting full-time at safety. And how many Cardinals have been in six years on uh, named to three Pro Bowl teams, two first teams and one second team, and five Pro Bowls out of six seasons? I mean, he's done this all the right way. He's also emerged as a tremendous leader. 
And people are saying, well, he doesn't play a premier position, so you can't you can't overpay him. And my question to that is, well, you know, what kind of price do you put on leadership? I mean, I think the main reason why the Cardinals went seven and oh two years ago was JJ Watt. And people have argued about his salary. Well, the leadership that JJ brought, JJ Watt gave to the Cardinals. I mean, he's like unbelievable the commitment he made to the Cardinals. Talk about making a commitment. And Buddha has done that for six years. But JJ Watt, I mean, look at the way Buddha played through pain and injuries in this, you know, lost season and never quit to the end. And we even was playing with a broken shoulder in a game, which finally the doctor said, Hey, you gotta come out. <laughs> I mean, this guy did all that, and don't let's not forget he came back this year and was, you know, had the third highest run um, defense grade in the PFF for players over 900 stat, snaps. On a year after he, you know, had the serious head injury and concussion and knockout in L.A. and got, you know, rushed to an L.A. hospital. I mean, Buddha only knows how to play one way. He only knows how to lead one way. And it's the best way I've seen in so long, since Kurt Warner, really, um, and Larry in his prime. Um, you know, although I think Buddha is more of a catalyst than Larry. Um, you know, Buddha's a little bit more vocal fire than, than Larry. Um, but in terms of setting an example um, on the field, I mean, Larry was, you know, non-pariah. I mean, you know, the best. Um, and Buddha has been the best for six years. And so, you know, but I had this epiphany I had was that I think Buddha Baker inspired the number one defense in the NFL last year. I think, and I, I have, Reason to believe this, I haven't been told this verbatim, but I think D'Amico Ryans <coughs> showed his 49ers, and you know the 49ers all, you know, have the highest regard for Buda Baker. They've said repeatedly he's their biggest nemesis defensively. And that in itself to me says you, you want to keep a guy like this because if the Niners are saying this, then you know you got someone special. Um, and why the Cardinals wouldn't know that by now is, is mind-boggling to me. But anyway, but I, I think that D'Amico Ryan's queued up Buda Baker tapes and showed them how Buda gets to the ball because his whole team played like a pack of Budas last year. I've never seen a team that quick to the ball and swarming. Um and that's how you win in the NFL, the quickness to the ball. I mean, there are plays that Buddha makes because of the quickness where he doesn't get, a, you know, a wrap tackle, but he gets there fast enough to get to the running back or receiver before the receiver can make a move. And he gets part, gets a nick on him and, and tumbles him over. I mean, that's the thing in football is you've got to play. Speed gets you, the sooner you can get to the football, the better things can happen. And I really believe that. I think that, you know, 
with Buddha playing in the same division and with the offensive players on the 49ers knowing how valuable Buddha is, and they've even said on the NFL films when Buddha was named 19th in um, last year um, in all pro football, the number 19th player, or was it two years ago? I think it was two years ago. Um, that you got to know, find Buddha. You got to know where Buddha is. Know where Buddha is, and you know, um, audible ops in him. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of the kind of impact I think that Buddha's had on his own division. And um, you know, I don't know what they're doing with Buddha now, but here's at least the minimum I think the Cardinals can do if they're keeping him on on the same salary which Buddha has every right to um, protest because let's understand the context here. Both Buddha and Hopkins were given sweetheart deals by Steve Kime, where Kime gave him all the guaranteed money up front over the first two years of the contract, which meant, wink, wink, after that guaranteed money is gone, we'll talk to you again. Well, Kime is gone and there's a new GM in place. And he's kind of trying to cope with a $51 million cap hit from Kyler Murray next year. So, and he's been loath, as we've seen, to sign players to long-term, expensive, you know, high-paying salaries. <coughs> but he's also said that Buda Baker represents everything that the organization stands for, represents and stands for, which I agree with. And I think if you pull the players in that building, they would concur unanimously and with great, you know, um, emphasis that Buda Baker's our, our dog. He is our guy. So I just hope that um, they get things, but I think the least they could do if they're not going to re-up this year is say, all right, we're going to talk about this next year, but in the interim, we'll guarantee your 13 million dollar base salary which means that you know with the bonuses you got you know it's a cap hit for us of 16 million this year 16 close to 17 million and we can revisit this next year but right now let's get you in back in the building let's get you on the field and let's give you the the you know comfort of knowing your base salary is protected and guaranteed. I think that would be at least um, warranted in this situation. My hope is that they get a longer term deal done. He's only 27. Like I said, I mean, <clears throat> he's the only player. Think of it, all the players that Cardinals have given bags to and none of them have lived up to it except Buddha. Honey Badger? No. David Johnson, no. Kyler so far, no. I mean, Hopkins, no. I mean, he wasn't a draft pick, but but almost, you know, he had to trade a draft pick for him. They gave him the big bag, and that didn't work out. Um, they'd have, they, you know, when prematurely they didn't have to. Cardinals could have kept Hopkins on his salary. Um, you know, at least made him play a year. They didn't. They didn't want him back. They 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 would rather have them go their separate ways than bring him into training camp. Yeah, well, I'm just talking about when they traded for him. Oh, when they traded for him, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, 
um, is that they could have waited a year, which I was, um, you know, imploring them to do. Because I thought the way that he, he handled the Texans was awful. Um, you know, you just don't do that to a team that went out of their way to accommodate you. And you're coming off that bitter, you know, you remember this, Kyle, that Chiefs loss. You know, that they had the 20, what was it, 24 to nothing lead, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, oh boy. And, you know, so close. And then they, they imploded, you know. Um, they have the worst record in the NFL since being up 24 to zero at Arrowhead in a playoff game against Kansas City, where if they had won that game, they would have hosted the Titans in the AFC championship game, which they probably would have won and gone to the Super Bowl. Right. I mean, you know, and this is before the Deshaun Watson debacle. So, I mean, they had a, they had a, you know, highly competent defense until Mahomes got the better of them. For um, 52 points in three quarters. Yeah, that was really something. And uh, the whole thing imploded. And the catalyst for that, in my opinion, was Hopkins wanting out and demanding that they rip up his contract. This, meanwhile, while um, that was his last, the last playoff game he's played in, you know, his stats are very pedestrian. He's no Larry when it comes to the playoffs. I mean, not even close. I mean, he's not a finisher. He's just not. You know how many? Guess how, in six games, playoffs games, where the Texans were two and four. Guess how many touchdowns he has? Hmm. I think it's zero, but I'm not 100% sure. It's one. It's one. Okay, Good it's one. You. So you, you got the, the message on that. Guess how many, um, first of all, he's got a wide margin between targets and catches, so they're disconnecting with him. Now, you're playing the better teams, too, or double-teaming and stuff, but it's late in the season, and I don't know if physically Hopkins has ever been uh, strong enough to finish out a season, and mentally at that point, I think the two are hand-in-hand. But guess how many uh, yards per game? being thrown at like you know 15 16 20 times a game i'm gonna guess uh let's say 90 it's 72 wow yeah wow guess how many what larry fitzgerald who was six and four in 10 playoff games oh, it's um, got to be over 100 i would guess it is and larry had you know, in 10 games, 11 touchdowns. Wow. Huge disparity there, isn't it? It's quite the disparity, especially since I'm going to just eyeball this off the top here. I think DeAndre Hopkins averages close to 100 yards per game receiving in the regular season for a lot of his career. Yes. But here's the thing with that, too, that's... You know, I'll give him, you got to give him credit for he's got great hands. He's slippery, 50 50 balls. He comes down with no, you know, like few pros. But I think if you take any right receiver with a modicum, more than little more than a modicum of talent, and you throw 20 times at him a game, you're going to get thousand yard seasons galore. 
providing they stay healthy, you know? Um, I mean, especially... I, yeah. Sorry, you know, let me give you an example. The Patriots just re-signed Devontae Parker, who I like and I think has some Copkin-esque qualities, um, to a three-year, $33 million contract extension for $11 million a year, which I think is really, you know, a bargain price for Parker. If you throw at Parker 20 times a game, I guarantee you he's got 1,200 to 1,400 yards at the end of the season. Guaranteed. And he gets open enough, you know, to be able to, to do that. You know, the, the chances you get increase the odds, obviously. Now, I don't want to take totally away from Hopkins, you know, talent. There's no question... You know, he came into the in the league with one of the best set of hands ever. Um, and, you know, we know that about him. But he slowed down, and there's been also a propensity for him, particularly late in season, getting shut down. I mean, Jalen Ramsey has owned him since he, you know, became a Cardinal. Um, now, Ramsey's gotten away with semantics, and that, that pisses me off. I mean, there have been calls that should have been made against Ramsey, but Ramsey really kind of intimidated him. Um, and there were other corners, like the job Verrett did on him in a key game the Cardinals needed to win to make the playoffs. It was just stunning. I mean, it was to the point where where Hopkins flipped off the refs and got a huge, awful penalty that cost helped cost the game for the Cardinals. Um, Verrett took care of him. Stephon Gilmore took care of him. Um, Xavier Howard took care of him. I mean, there's some corners who are good matchups for DeAndre because the, the thing about DeAndre is he's not fast. And if you dog him and bracket him, you can limit him. I mean, you can't stop him completely, but you can contain him and... You know, um, interesting, too, he's still out there <laughs> wanting to get his bag. Yeah, because um, what really, made DeAndre Hopkins a Hall of Famer is having the best hands and the best ability to track a ball of, I mean, any receiver I've seen in the last 10 to 15 years. That yeah. was his his premier skill set, and it, it just might carry him to the Hall of Fame. It might. I don't think, I think he wherever he goes next will dictate it. I don't think he... Has enough right now, um, and particularly in light of you know um, this you know chew and screw on two organizations, um, and his you know less than you know I mean Hall of Famers show up in the playoffs right. Um, when you look at that playoff record, I mean those stats, you just like whoa. Yeah, he's kind um, and, of on the fringes. Yeah, you look at his performances late in seasons, um, took a hit. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, for a stretch there, he's as good as they get. Um, but I don't, I think there are other factors also, a mitigating factor, a serious, not, you know, mitigating, but more serious factor is the ped violation. Six weeks. Um, I think that's a stain on anyone's resume, and it makes you wonder. I think the same thing with Patrick Peterson. I think that that put his Hall of Fame status in jeopardy. Um, 
because you just wonder with guys like that. Um, but Pat P's bounced back since he had a good year last year. Um, as things go in a system that allowed him just to play mostly zone. Um, you know, we'll see in Pittsburgh this year how he, you know, maybe he's back for good. Hopefully he is. Um, but, uh, and he made a step forward with his performance last year to be counted for the Hall of Fame. So he's going to be fighting his way back in, into contention there. And I think that Hopkins, wherever he goes next, will be um, a defining um, chapter of his career because, you know, he's got a, a lot to prove now. Um, and, but he, he's going to, I think he, the way he's playing this, he's trying to get out of training camp and trying to end up milking this down to the wire. And then he'll go with the highest bidder. Um, yeah, I, I hate to say this, but I think that the six weeks off last year didn't bother him at all. In fact, I thought he, he thought he could just, you know, do his own thing for six weeks and then come back and, you know, remind everyone how DeAndre Hopkins he is. Um, but, you know, I mean, he acted like it was, you know, but he, he contended that he was innocent all along. And he said he had proof that he was going to show everyone after the season. Uh, after the season, he was nowhere to be found. So and he, he's been bouncing around since. Um, but I want to see the Cardinals get something done with Buddha. I mean, he's the leadership is really, really important. And in today's football, your safeties are as important as tight ends are now. And, you know, it's become a tight end heavy league for a reason. You've got to win the middle of the football field. And, you know, safeties who can uh, make loud noise with footsteps like Buda Baker have a huge role in helping teams win. Also, I just want to, you know, end it on this note is that I believe that all of the Cardinals defensive players deserve mulligans um, for not being taught properly or used properly um, over the last few years. Um, you know, it was pointed out by Brett Coleman and EJ Snyder that the Cardinals were number one in the league in playing cover three defense. And that's, you know, that's, led to the, those soft zones. I mean, they were afraid to play man. They were like 31st in the league in playing man, you know, cover one. Um, you know, I mean, plus they didn't have much of an edge rush last year, so that compounded things. But coverage-wise, the Cardinals were a mess. Their zones were improperly taught. Time and time again, they were getting exploited and Buddha was a part of that, but also, you know, the guys that were, um, I think, were are in better shape now to succeed. You're not going to see Gannon and Rallis run cover three, you know, like 97% of the time. Um, it's not, or 91% of the time. It's not going to happen. And we're going to see diversity in coverages, and we're going to see some man. We're going to see some press man at times. We're going to see a press man look, um, you know, 
into zones. Combination man one side zone the other. We're gonna see we're gonna see some um, variations which you have to do in today's football. So I'm just so hoping that you know that Buddha they handle the Buddha situation properly because that's a that's a biggie. I mean we need that guy. Um, we need him and. You know, safeties aren't that that expensive. Um, yeah, who says it's an overpay for not a premium position? Maybe it's an underpay for a position that's undervalued. Who knows? Man, Kyle, I missed you, man. I'm so glad. <laughs> you know, have. we can just take the same words of overpaying for a non-premium position and saying underpaying for an undervalued position. It exactly. Both can mean the same thing. Particularly when queue up the... Uh, this hurts my heart, man. You know, um, video of, of Buddha on hard knocks. That was the most inspiring speech I've, I've heard from a Cardinal maybe ever. I mean, that was just, and it was, it was given by a man who talks the talk, but walks the walk and facts runs the run. No one runs the alley like, Buddha Baker, my God! I mean, and to think that he what he went through at the end of the season before, and how much he put into this season. If you let go of a guy like that, I think it's you know real huge mistake. And um, I hope hopefully the Cardinals have understand that, and are, they say they're working with him pretty pretty diligently right now. So, God, it'd be great to know that he's back and in the fold. What? Thank you so much, Kyle, for your your um, excellent contributions today and for producing this show. To all the Cardinal fans, um, thank you once again for you know your support. Let's uh, bounce, keep bouncing ideas off each other and conversations on Twitter at WBJ Mitch and at Revenge of the Birds, where I'll be posting this initially this this podcast. And join the um, comment sections there. We're getting great comments, uh, discussions going on articles. And uh, like I said, I mean, check out Seth Cox and um, uh, um, and uh, <clears throat> Jess Roots podcasts, recent podcasts. They're really good about Cardinals positions and what's going on there and who should start and everything. And check out Brett Coleman and EJ Snyder on Bootleg the bootleg podcast. Um, that's a eye opener too. check out what they say about the Cardinals draft. It's really awesome. They loved it. They thought the Cardinals crushed the draft. And of course they had some of those guys in interviews before the draft. Um, they, in fact, they had, uh, Catrell Clark, the last two picks and Dante Sills, who both players who they love and can't believe that they lasted that long. And the Cardinals got them. Um, so give them a give them your attention, and uh, meanwhile, keep the faith and uh, let's uh, let's have a good week and taking uh, days closer to a late starting training camp for the Cardinals. Unfortunately, um, for at least rookies, um, but uh, we'll we'll have to cope with that as it comes. So anyway, have a great week, and, and until then, may the Red rain of playoff confetti showered down on you into the red, red sea. Red rain.